Welcome back to the Comfy Chairs. This is Kate. You know, communication is just about the biggest bucket of skills out there. So when we talk about leaders needing great communication skills, it's really important that we dial in and get clear about which specific skill we mean in the moment. So today, we're talking about how leaders can effectively organize and deliver clear messages. My guest shared so much insight that this will actually be the first of two episodes devoted to this topic. So I'd like to invite you to have a seat and join the conversation. I'm, I'm really excited and fortunate to have Erin O'Mara with me today. She talks about strength and gentleness, uh, what she refers to as velvet steel, both on LinkedIn and kind of out in the world. She's a regular columnist for the Harpswell Anchor, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation with her about one of the big things, communication. So Erin, um, what would you like to add about what you have going on right now? Well, thank you for the introduction. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the thing I want to add is that I really believe in the power and promise of journalism. I believe in the power and promise of quality journalism, and I think it's really important that people understand the difference and begin to hone their media literacy skills. Agreed. Um, and I believe that words matter. And words matter not just in journalism, but they matter in our interpersonal relationships, and they matter in our work. And so we should be aware of the words we use, and we should use them to great effect. You know, and we should enjoy it. I think, I think words are delicious. Yes. You know, and <laughs> right, and it's a there's a buffet. There's so many, and we should explore them, and we should think about how one word works in one context, but not in another. And, and we should have some fun while we're making sure that, you know, we're understood and that our message is clear and that people can also respond to us and have a, you know, have a really rich conversation because that's really yeah. what connection is all about. And that's the whole point. I just love that. Words are delicious, Erin. They are... <laughs> There are a few things as good. As we were talking in some of our preparatory time, I feel a little silly saying that we're just going to talk about quote unquote communication because as many people who've worked with me over the years have heard me say, that is a really broad umbrella of skills. You know, we could talk about written word. Uh, we could talk about recorded presentation. We could talk about public speaking. We could talk about print journalism, you name it. But in the context of leadership, the thing I believe is so important for leaders to, I'm going to be so careful picking my words today, uh, to get you know, on lockdown is the skill of organizing and delivering clear messages. So yes. that's where I'd like us to start. And I'm curious from your perspective and experience, what are the foundational skills, knowledge, and ability that people need to be clear communicators? Sure. Um, so I agree with you. It is a it is a giant topic. Um, it is it could be overwhelming, and I don't think that people need to be overwhelmed 
to learn and to grow and to be better communicators. I think that there are ways to to understand the message and apply it to how we talk and write and how we behave. So, and I'm thinking of this study. So there's a study, and actually I believe it was a pair of studies from the late 1960s that have been sort of smooshed together. And people probably see this, um, these numbers that they say 55% of communication is body language, 38% is, is voice and presentation, and only 7% are the actual words we speak. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should get stuck on that. And when, you know, if anybody Googles those numbers, the study is going to come up and there's a lot of nuance. But one of the things that comes out in that study, and I think something that's really important for everybody to take away, is that all of our communication has to align. Our spoken yes. words, our tone of voice, and our body language have to be aligned around the message for the message to be credible. So, you know, as an example, if um, if a if a leader says to someone on their team, "That was great work," but they aren't looking at them in the eye when they mm-hmm. say it, the person on their team might not really think it was a compliment. You know, if the if someone on the team says, yeah, I'll get that done tomorrow, but they're rolling their eyes while they do it. <laughs> Nobody's going to believe that they're getting that done tomorrow. Right. That's that's yeah. when the, yeah. the value of the words disappears. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing to think about is that since communication is so rich and it's it's everything, it's how we show up. It is the tone of our voice. It's you know, it's even how we're feeling that day. And it's the words that when we're using a channel of communication where something's missing, we have to find ways to compensate. So mm-hmm. yes. when you email somebody, right, you email, you're not there. Your great mood, it's not there. Your your really supportive body language and tone of voice, it's not there. What is there? How they're feeling. Right. So there's this mm-hmm. blank screen with no emotion, nothing to support the message. And maybe they've had a really bad day. Yeah. So when they open up that message, they're opening it up with their feelings, not with yours. And so if we take that same, those same two words, great work, um, most people, many people, when they open an email that has two words and it says great work, they don't necessarily take that as a compliment. No. There's another, another study that says the majority of people actually think that that is snarky. Yeah. Well, it, it feels pro forma, doesn't it? Great it work. does. Now I need you to do this. Yes. So, yeah. right. But if you were walking into someone's office or, you know, meeting them in the hall at work and you wanted to say great work, when you, those words would come out with enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. they would see an expression on your face. It's also sort of hard just to get two words out and run by somebody. So there'd probably be more to that interaction and they would understand what you meant, but you know, it just came in an email and you say, great work. And people think, really? So two, don't do a two word email. That's not what that channel's for. You know, that channel 
is for more robust communication. That channel is for mm -hmm. an explanation. And when you're writing the email, you really have to consider that you're not there in person when the recipient opens it. Yeah. Right. So you have to make up for those parts of communication that are missing. Yeah. The, if I can be so bold as to provide a mental model, when you yeah. were talking about body language, tone, words, it's, I tend to default to head and heart. And then what is it we need to add to it? And I think it's head, heart, and hands. Mm -hmm. That the head is our language, right? That's the, yep. we're making word choices through our thoughts. The heart is the meaning, what mm -hmm. I intend by it. And then our hands, that's that physical presence, the manner. It could also be the channel then too. So if if I want 100% of the message to go and I only have my head present, I only have the words, I've got to somehow make up for, I've got to rebalance and redistribute yes. the kind of effort that goes in. And as you've pointed out, we know that word choice as much as it takes that energy for us to prepare and contribute that contribute that portion to any message it's not as important so you kind of have to prorate the different parts of of it and put more you know make those words um more you know effusive you don't have to be flowery you don't have to be fake but Instead of saying great work, it may have to be, Aaron, I really want you to know how much I appreciate the great work you did on this project. Thanks yes. so much. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that's, I, I love the, the head, heart, and hands image. And I think that's really an important image because you do need to put your whole self into these mm -hmm. things, which doesn't mean you give yourself up. You know, communication doesn't take you over it no. means you really consider these parts and how people receive information mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely so you you make the message a little more clear you know you say yeah i really appreciate that project or that work on that project or that project makes a big difference for us great work yeah you know, i was thinking about brevity because, you know, if we talk about, well, I'm emailing somebody as opposed to seeing them in person, I need to put more into it. You, you don't need to sacrifice brevity. You know, again, both of oh. the examples we've given are just a few more words. But my most delicious word is laconic. That idea that it's, you know, kind of short to the point um, and carries a certain, you know, wit or intelligence with it. So I want to make certain in this part of our discussion that I'm still an advocate for brevity and laconic writing and communication, yeah. but it's about what is your intention and are you being deliberate and thoughtful? Yes. Um, and, and brevity is important and, and wit, if it's authentic to you, yeah, is really terrific um to to help a message be understood and oh this brings me in so many directions and i'm not <laughs> sure where to go it's very exciting Yay. um yeah i so let's talk about brevity for a minute mm -hmm. uh, jargon is terrible 
us. Euphemisms are terrible. And, and, and by the way, as I say this, I know that they're terrible because I've been guilty of using them. You know, I've heard it all come out of my mouth and then thought, oh, goodness, you know, Eric, what are you doing? You know, things like going after the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. How about let's do the easy things? How yeah. about, right, you know, we don't have to speak that way. And and every business has jargon that is very specific to them. I was just thinking and, that, that every, you know industry, every company will have its own language, right? Or yes. accent or regional isms. And to your point. Yeah. And, and it's not, I don't think it moves a conversation along. And I do think that then people and companies have a very fine line to walk, right? Because there mm -hmm. is a company culture that says, well, we use this jargon, you know, we have these acronyms and this is, this is our shorthand and using it shows that you're, you're in, you're mm -hmm. with us, but think of the opposite of that, because using all of that also shows some people that they are out. Yes. And so I think we really have to think carefully about the, about the jargon we use and the clarity we're using in our conversation and I, I, I think we take jargon out when we can. I agree with you. Um, what I'm thinking about, when I first started working in a hospital setting, uh, it was a cardiac care facility. And one of, actually, I think it was my boss, kept talking about, well, you know, the number of cabbages that we're doing. And you know, I had come from retail, and all I could think about was um, Cabbage Patch Kids. Every time I heard cabbage, I thought of Cabbage Patch Kids. And finally, you know, I screwed my courage to the, the sticking place and said, what does that stand for? <laughs> Coronary artery bypass graft. And I think part of, if you're going to have jargon, if you're going to have industry-appropriate shorthand, there also has to be safety for people to say, I don't know what that means. Yes, yes, that's so important. And and I think, to your point, one of the things that comes up when jargon is so freely thrown around is that people really don't feel like they should ask. Yeah. You know, that you should just sort of step in knowing. Mm -hmm. But you don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's any any word choice are we assuming that people share meaning? Hugely important point. And maybe we could talk a little bit about how tricky words are um, and, and how we use them. You know, I think of, so anybody who's learned English as a second language and they've had to grapple with the moment where they understand that, that pretty is a, is a compliment. It means beautiful but it's also an amplifier for things that are just not pretty. You know, you can be pretty gross. Mm -hmm. um, I shouldn't say you, something, yeah. something. I'm, I'm having that type of day, so that's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> something can be pretty gross and, and how they have to scratch their head over that. There are a lot of things in the English language that are like that, but even, even words that maybe aren't confusing but will have a very different meaning. And so one of the, the tests I like to use or the 
thought exercises I like to use is to ask people what their definition of a great night is, you know? So right every Friday, everybody leaves work and people say, have a great night or have a great weekend or, you know, five days a week, people leave work and everybody says, have a great night. There's probably somebody going home that a great night is that they're going to play games with their kids and somebody else is going home and they're only stopping home to change into their party clothes because they're going to be out all night. And somebody else is, you know, struggling with, you know, something that we don't know about and a great night to them is making it through morning. I mean, the, the gamut of what a great night can be, it's infinite. And you don't need to understand what somebody's definition of a great night is to wish them a great night. You know, everybody understands that you're wishing them well. You do need to understand that everybody will have a different definition to that, to understand that there is complexity and context in all of our communication. And then I would also add that on, you know, in terms of inclusion and creating safety in a workplace, Mm -hmm. knowing your team's well enough to have the idea of what their great night is can go a long way. And it's worth exploring and it's worth knowing people on that level Um, just for this exercise. It's worth understanding that what is a great night to you is not a great night to someone that you're speaking to. And so something that is so simple on the surface is actually really complex. So two questions for you. Uh, the first, what is what is your definition of a great night, Erin? I'm just, I'm curious and I'll hate myself if I don't ask. <laughs> you know, I think it depends on the night, but a great night for me is, uh, is with people I love with mm-hmm. lots of laughter and discussion and those sorts of conversations that that have a life of their own and everybody is participating and then you don't even realize that you know three hours have gone by a, a great night for me i think is when everybody wants to overstay their welcome yes i love that i love that okay my next question which is <laughs> more on topic and not um my rampant curiosity so you've got this wonderful exercise that could in of itself be a way to start understanding this is what it means for people. These are the different um, contextual, you know, keys and um, yeah, understanding those different definitions and perspectives. That's one way. Are there other methods that you think leaders should employ to start to get to that place where they know their people well enough to know when I say great work, the person doesn't take it as snarky or I understand that I need to say you did a wonderful job instead of great work. Am I making sense? Yeah. So I think there are layers to what you're asking. Mm -hmm. How do I want to start? I think I want to caution everybody that 
you you never know how someone is showing up. Mm-hmm. And so I would say never just do the two word compliment because it's easy enough to be specific, you know? And so maybe your, your star employee and someone that you've worked with for a long time and someone who, who really gives you the benefit of the doubt generally comes in and reads your note and they don't have, they don't have that source of generosity that morning and they read it wrong. And, and so I think we always have to consider that. And, and then I would say on the flip side, when we're reading a note and we have that moment that everybody's had, right? You, you read something and you just, you feel something flaring inside and it, you're upset that you pause. Um, it, and, and, and a great thing for everybody to do, no matter what, is to write their email and always set it aside, always, and go back and read it and make sure that you're happy yeah. with what it says and how you're coming off and how you're delivering your message. I would also ask people that when they open up that email and they have that moment of being offended, that they also take a pause and they think, what other intent could I apply to this message? Mm-hmm. Was this message intended to be offensive? Was this message intended to be intended to be a reprimand or whatever negative feeling it's bringing up for you? Was it intended to conjure that feeling in me mm-hmm. and give the writer the benefit of the doubt yeah. and give, give that pause, give, give both of you that grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be enormously helpful in communication. And and by the way, it doesn't mean that the note wasn't intended to spark bad feelings. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that people don't do that. And isn't it easier on me if I choose not to take it that way and not end up on that particular cul-de-sac of bad feeling? Yeah, that you get to keep yourself out of that loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that you give yourself, again, you give yourself grace. And yes. and some of this is even, so this starts to tip into conflict resolution, which is a, another topic that I love, and it is rich with word choice and, and all the choices that we make. Um, but you can decide which battles you're fighting. So, right, you take that pause and you, give the sender the benefit of the doubt. And maybe when you do that, when you think of what their other motives might've been, you'll come to a place you're comfortable with where you say, well, when they said great work, they actually meant it. You know, Mm -hmm. I spoke to them yesterday. This is a great project that this is a compliment. And then you can rest easy. What we're talking about at its core is relationships. The effectiveness of communication is entirely dependent upon the relationship between the speaker and the listener. Um, And so what level of trust exists in that relationship so that I can easily know that Erin doesn't intend to be harm when she says great work and you know, hey, Kate is trustworthy and competent. She's not going to take offense to what I intend as as, great feedback. It's yeah. that relationship that matters. It is that, it is that relationship. And 
I mean, let's delve into conflict resolution for a minute. Yes, please. So I agree communication is about relationship and the best communication is when the sender and receiver have trust. Mm -hmm. There are times when communication is important and this happens in a work environment all the time where there might not be trust. You know, you might be coworkers, but you don't get along or you, we've probably all had that. All have that, right? Somebody has a grudge. Somebody doesn't feel good about this relationship. You still have to work, work together. And so there's this concept in, in conflict resolution and it's called fogging. And so what it says is that in any message, so a message comes my way and I find the delivery offensive. I, I, I'm sensing anger or it's unfair or it's, it's making me defensive. And now I have a choice. So I can escalate the conflict. I can respond to the emotion I'm picking up in the message. And that's probably going to escalate the conflict and not going to help anybody. Or I can focus on the thing in the message, in the words, that's true. And I can respond directly to that. So a colleague comes to you and they're with a head full of steam and they say, Kate, the project is late and that's just not acceptable. And you, oh, so what's the true part? The project's late. How do I respond to that? I can say, you're right. The project's late. And I understand that that's frustrating. And then you'll watch the, the anger drain. Because it's hard to be angry at somebody who's agreeing with you. And what you just did, right, you're focusing on the part that's true and you're ignoring the part of the delivery that you find unacceptable. So that doesn't mean the behavior was acceptable, doesn't mean the delivery was okay. It just means there's a part of that message that was true. And mm -hmm. so that's the part you key on. And then if we could just, and then I want to dig into that because it's super effective. I hate the name fogging. Well, yeah, we're talking I'm curious about where that comes from. I don't know the history of that, but to me, right. It suggests smoke and mirrors mm -hmm. and, and, and I, I mean, I think there's magic in it. There's certainly magic in being able to handle a moment like that so that the, the anger has gone and the conversation can be constructive um, and that you didn't escalate something and you didn't, you didn't take part in in turning a conversation into a, a bigger conflict or bigger deal than what anybody wants. I mean, that's magic. It is. But it's not smoke and mirrors. It's about connection. So what you're doing in that moment is you're listening and you're saying, I'm hearing this person. You know, I'm hearing their worry or their concern. So you don't have to like the person. You don't have to agree with the delivery that you're focusing in on the thing that's real and the thing that you understand to be true. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really powerful. And then when we take that deeper and we talk more about relationships, there's a lesson here, you know, when, um, have you ever offered comfort to somebody 
and it kind of lands with a thud. Of course. I, I am the queen of, of awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody is, right? I mean, you sort of think, like, you'll say something like, oh, that's hard. That sounds hard. And the thing is, is that we all have really big emotions. And, and so when you're looking for the part that's true, right, the truth is someone might be overwhelmed. They might be suffering, whatever they're going through. It's a big deal, right? You can't say, oh, that's hard and expect them to say, oh, I feel so heard. Yeah. You come at them with big feeling words. Like that's overwhelming. That's devastating. You have a lot on your shoulders. You want to match the feeling in the moment. So that same idea of when we communicate that sort of all of our parts of communication have to be aligned. Well, for people to understand our messages, we need to meet them where they are. And so when someone's having a big feeling word, use a big feeling, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that you have to understand their turmoil. So Erin, it sounds to me like you're also telling us that we have to be self-aware and aware of others uh, before we open our mouths or set pen to paper. Yeah, you know, I guess so. I And yes, yes. Yeah. And it's not easy. No. It's not easy. And, you know, I'm here talking and telling people these things they should do. Well, I... I mess it up all the time. I, right. I will also say it's also okay to circle back and say, I did that wrong. Yeah. Well, what we're getting at in that, am I paying attention? This is a big feeling, so I need a big word for it. Um, am I aware that my meaning may not align? Am I matching my energy and my language? We're talking about emotional intelligence and how it is ultimately fundamental to any type of effective communication. And to your point, humans mess that up all the time. Yes. And, and leaders have the opportunity to, um, to do it and mess it up more than the average bear. So, yeah. you know, that part of, part of effective communication is circling back when it doesn't work and starting over. Absolutely. And, and part of effective communication is also taking a pause when you know it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, well, I told you once, so I'm going to keep telling you the very same thing five times. I, yes. I had a call not that long ago with a leader. He's like, well, we've been telling them the same thing for five years. And the thought, the thing I didn't say, cause I didn't want to come across as snarky was what have you been doing wrong for five years it's yeah. not the it's not the team in that case it's you've got to fix your message or your approach or expectations or the relationship or fill in the blank and that's awareness yes you know when something's going wrong you have to you have to address it so mm -hmm. part of that is feedback and, yeah. and feedback can come in a variety of forms. So the recipient of your message can come to you and say, I don't understand what you're saying. I wish that that happened. That's not the thing that happens most often. 
most often you figure out that your message wasn't received because the result you expected isn't what you get. So how come? And it, and it isn't all, it's not always the listener. And I, I think, you know, we like to think that our communication is really effective and, you know, so it must be them. Well, no, sometimes it's, sometimes it's really just us. And then sometimes the communication was clear, but maybe the goal isn't. Maybe sometimes the, the communication and the goal aren't aligned. Maybe sometimes mm-hmm. the communication is not clear. I mean, there are a, a lot of things that can go wrong between a message leaving my, my heart, my head, my hands yeah, and reaching somebody else. That's exactly right. And you talked about context before. Um, in my past life, when we had a significant organizational change coming, one of the one of the like quick trainings, if you will, and it was more like a we're gonna do a sheep dip for leaders so that they're they're thinking about important things. It was on the impact of trust when there was a big scary change that normally during, when everything's going great, it's, yeah, I think you know what you're talking about. When, when it's big bad news, like we're going to have staff cuts or we're making a change that everybody perceives as negative, people can't hear because they're in amygdala hijack and all they care about is, do you care for me? And that perception So again, it could be a beautifully crafted, perfectly on point, no ambiguity whatsoever message. And the context could impact the person's ability to hear it. And you have to adapt for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really important when, when people are in, you know, flight or fight, they're not listening for nuance they they don't care that your prose is perfect you know that that the marketing savvy in your message should be <laughs> applauded right nobody's thinking that yeah and they're having trouble hearing and i i think that's a really good point because there's no communication without a full loop and i think people should really think about that, especially business leaders when they're organizing their their departments and their structure. Communication is one way out from you, and it is only successful when it comes back to you in whatever form it comes back, right? So that the project is done as you thought it should be done the person repeats back to you, yes, I completely understand that I'm doing it. You know, however, however that's going to work. It has to be a full loop. So leaders also have to decide how many people can I have that full loop with? So how many direct reports can I have? I think that it gets very messy and muddy if you have more than five, because then what you're saying is I can manage 10 lines of communication. I can manage that line out and I can manage that line back. I think it gets very difficult. Um, but, and I'm a little off track, 
But part no, of no, what I'm, you're talking I, about, I like, right? you're, I like where you are. We're on the track together. We're on the track. We're in where the train's going in the right direction. So you need to know that people are listening to you. And when you're doing a company-wide communication, there are always going to be people who aren't on board. Mm-hmm. There are going to be people who can't hear. You have to think about then, how am I priming everybody for this communication? Who are your directors and managers? Who are the people who are going to work directly with your teams most affected, with your teams who are hurting the most or feeling the most fear or feeling any fear, quite frankly, I shouldn't even be qualifying the amount. Who are the people who are going to be there and going to be able to listen, understand the concerns and speak back in a way that people can hear. Mm -hmm. And so that requires time and training with your teams. Your, your, those, those frontline directors and managers, they need to understand the message. They have to have had time to, um, to take it in themselves Mm -hmm. because they might also feel concern, worry, fear, change, even positive change creates anxiety. It does. So what are, I'm curious. So that full loop, I love that statement that no communication, there is no communication without a full loop. What are some approaches to creating the loop that you've seen work? Yeah. So I think it's helpful if, the person on the receiving end of the message can paraphrase it back. Okay. So sometimes that's the the speaker asking, I just want to make sure this is clear. Let me know. Um, sometimes that's training. You don't want to appear condescending and, and it really isn't. But again, people have different lenses and there's different context. So if you think that there are details in your message that are confusing or could be lost. If you think that maybe you didn't take the time that you should have taken to craft it, ask people what they understand. Yeah. So I think that helps. I think, I think spending time with your teams helps. You can learn how people best communicate, how they hear how they understand is the fact is everybody learns differently and everybody takes in information differently and at different rates. And that's all okay. As long as they understand it in the end. So make sure, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've worked with, with teams, um, what someone on my team who she's really a visual learner. And so I could send an email with my beautiful prose and my great instructions. And it wasn't going to be great for her. But if I sat down with her with just my notepad and a pen and drew it, she would say, got it. She would rip that sheet out of my pad and and be off and running. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an artist, so I wasn't drawing anything that was beautiful. (laughs) You know, it just helped her organize the mm-hmm. mission. Yeah. Well, I think some notes I made, you know, because I am I am not um, 
I do not learn through listening solely. Uh, I have a very hard time. Like, if people spew numbers at me, just in one ear or out the other, I have to see it. So if the if the content, if it's appropriate for it, you know, provide handouts or to your point, you know, infographics and illustrations. Um, it just goes back. Do you know your audience well enough? Do you know your people and what they need? Yes. Yeah. And and some people learn by doing. Yeah. So you know what? Let those people do, but ask them to come back to you. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't want anybody sort of feeling like they're just um, left twisting in the wind. Mm-hmm. Nobody needs that. Have them come back. Say, don't finish this whole thing. You know, let me know how you're doing. Yeah. And and then pay attention because there are a lot of cues we get from people. I think we can all see when a light comes on in someone's eyes. And that is a fabulous moment. You know, that says that the communication is clear, right? My head, my heart, my hands are aligned. There's our two. They got it. There's a spark. They're excited. That's thrilling. Mm-hmm. You can also see when someone doesn't quite have that spark. So it goes back to what you were mentioning earlier. How do you have the safety to ask a question? Some of that, again, is knowing your teams and letting them know you and make sure that the questions can be asked. Yeah. Well, I think we're, we're kind of skipping from conflict resolution into change leadership in some ways here too, that sometimes that light comes on and it's not, it's not a happy yellow light, right? People hear it and understand it and they don't like it. Um, you know, angry, orange, red, black, whatever, whatever your color for not good is. You also need to, and this may sound counterintuitive, I firmly believe when people understand and don't like it, you need to still embrace that. Yes. Because we're talking, what, what I'm talking about is resistance to change and Resistance is good news because it means people understand. I'm asking you to do different, be different, or there's something around you changing. Now you have to set boundaries around it, and people need to be appropriate and professional in the workplace about how they resist. But instead of being like, well, I didn't get the happy light. I got the bad light. It's, oh, good, I got a light. I can work with that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know you got that light. So you've you've gotten a a, a caution light or you've got a full on stop. Yeah. And then you do need to circle back. You know, you the leader, you the 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 catalyst for change needs something to happen. You know you've got people who understand it, and you know you have resistance. So here are your options. Well, I can ignore that and just hope they get on board. Well, that never works. Mm-hmm. Or you can address it, but you can address it with respect and care. And this goes back to creating that connection. What is your relationship? And, and you, can be, you can be frustrated with the people who are giving you the red light. Maybe there are people who give you a red light every day on simple things. And it, it, it's annoying, right? You can be annoyed <laughs> at the people who give you the red light. 
you can also still respect them and you can find that place of connection. So you don't have to agree with them. And we are all adults and we are adults living in a complicated world. And we are people that understand that there can be more than one thing that's true. And there can be more than one true thing that are in opposition to each other. Yeah. And you can stand in that moment and leaders have to embrace that because they're confronted with that paradigm all the time. So it can be true that this change needs to happen. It can also be true that the people giving you the red light have a real concern about that change. You know, it can be true that your directive needs to be followed out, that it's an imperative for whatever reason. And it can be true that the people who are giving you that red light are passionate about their work, are hard workers, are high contributors, are talented in their area of expertise, that they care for the result. And when you come to them with that, you are a valued member of this team. I am always impressed with your passion, your talent for coding, for numbers, for you know whatever your area of expertise is impressive and it is important to me and it's important to this team. And we have to get this thing done. I'm thinking this is a good to bring in another subject that you wanted to make certain that we didn't lose sight of. So you've got your star employee who doesn't like the message, and then you've got your opposite of star employee who doesn't like the message. Are you treating them the same? Where does bias come in? And there's bias in that, well, you're a great performer, so I'm going to be okay with you saying you don't like it you're the person that annoys me the most. So I'm going to tell you just to get in line. That's that kind of easy bias to think about in those settings. But bias plays a role in all of our communication. And it's another place where we have to be aware and mindful. And I know it's something that you're pretty passionate about. So I just want to make certain that we bring that in to our discussion. Yeah. So, and it's, so thank you. Um, bias in the workplace is damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, it is rampant. And it needs, it needs to be confronted. Everybody, when they're a leader needs to really understand where their bias lies and needs to actively work on it. In the example, so the the people giving you the red light, I think the leader then has to really interrogate themselves before they have any conversation. Why does this annoy me? Why is this a problem? 
is the red light reasonable? You know, what am I missing? And it's also okay to sit down with those employees and ask them, what am I missing? Mm -hmm. Where does this resistance come from? So you can, again, you acknowledge the thing that's true. You're incredibly talented. You're important, you know, and I need to get this done. Let's talk about what I'm missing. What am I missing? And I think part of the key to this and part of the key that keeps bias in check is that everybody is treated equally. There is no person with a with the red light who gets a pass. The, the conversation, a productive conversation happens with everybody. And then you also have to be really prepared to listen. And this is where the communication loop is so important because you know, as the leader, you can't go into the situation and again, say, well, my conversation, it's just one line, right? I'm telling you because you need to hear the feedback and approaching some of these things with some humility that you are talking to subject matter experts. Definitely. They have feedback. What is it? How do I open my mind so I can hear it? It might be important. Maybe the goal is good, but the path should be tweaked. Maybe they've got something to say. Yeah. And we should really be open to hearing it. May I move us backward in time about a minute? and ask about a word choice that you made. You you talked about equal treatment in that Mm -hmm. communication loop. And I'm curious if we, if it's really equal or equitable treatment. You're right. That's a really good point. It's equitable. Yeah. Like I'm thinking if, you know, if one employee is really upset, but they're, they're the person most impacted by the change. And then Joe over here, is the same level of upset, but it actually doesn't have any impact on his day-to-day. Do they really get equal? You know, you talked about a respectful conversation. Well, yes, they both get a respectful conversation, but I may be spending more time with Jane, our first employee, rather than Joe. Yes, and that's a really good point. I I think the equal is in... Mm -hmm. I'm going to give... Everybody should have the same opportunity to speak. Yes. Everybody giving me the red light yeah. needs the same opportunity to speak and they need to be approached with the with respect, some humility, mm-hmm. and that communication loop has to be complete. Yeah. They're gonna say something back to me. I really need to hear it. Thank you. That's really important. Yeah. And then you're right, because there is there is the part where we need to be equitable, and that's where a lot of EQ comes in. Mm-hmm. And and paying attention to the signals people are giving you, because there are going to be people who are more directly affected, who who feel more pain, and a personal sense of loss over change. And you know there might be people who aren't so close, but you know you know have have a have a grievance. It's yeah. different. Strong opinions, past experiences. 
yeah. fill in the blank. Well, it's one of the things I'm I'm seeing develop as you're as you're kind of instructing me, Aaron, um, which is how I sort of take this. Like I have this one-on-one lecture with a, an expert, <laughs> is that it's so easy to fall into thinking that as a leader, effective communication is is me talking, you know, or delivering a message, being the sender. And you have, you've explicitly talked about the importance of listening, but then you're also talking about emotional intelligence and that paying attention. And it's so important, even though it's obvious, I think it's so important for leaders to hear a large part of your job in effective communication is keeping your mouth shut. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. And listening and you know, listening is a hard skill. It requires all of our attention and it does require feedback, right? So information comes in, it's going to go through all of my filters of understanding and experience. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to turn that information into the thing that makes sense to me. And then I have to decide if that was the original message. Yeah. So then it means, Go ahead. Sorry. That's the ideal case too, where I'm not distracted. I'm not thinking about you know what we're making for dinner tonight or my last meeting or the thing I have coming up next. I mean, what you described is the perfect no interference version of it as well. Yes. And, and you have to not do the thing all of us do. If you're in a, a moment of conflict or higher stakes, you know, which this, mm-hmm. our, our conversation about, you know, change and getting that, the red light, that's what that is. You have to not be planning your rebuttal while someone is still talking. Yeah. And we all do that. Everybody does that. You you really have to have that presence to say, I'm going to fully listen to this. Mm-hmm. Even when you think four words in that you know exactly <laughs> what you want to say, right? Yeah. Because we don't do it. Mm-hmm. And and wait and respond. And now I'm going to take us back two minutes ago. What you did, you know, I said equal and you filtered this and thought, well, we're talking about bias and we're talking about clarity. And so shouldn't that be about equity? And you asked, you took all the information in, you filtered it, you asked. I was able to listen to you and say, okay, great point. That's an important word. And so we had a complete communication loop. Yeah. Yes, we did. Thank you. (laughs) I think, you know, and it's again, you're, you're delivering the information that you have with energy and humility at the same time. Um, So even though I am, as I've shared, uh, intimidated by you, (laughs) it's also safe for me to say, Hey, can I, can I check on a word choice? Because I want to make certain I'm clear and that we're being as precise as we can be. Yes. Well, and I'm glad this space feels safe. And <laughs> as I already, it's a, it's a space of mutual intimidation because you're <laughs> so impressive and you're doing such an extraordinary job. Let's reframe that for ourselves, Erin. Mutual respect and admiration. <laughs> there we go. That's much better. A much better word choice off of the buffet.
So this is where we'll press pause. Join me next time for part two of our conversation with Aaron about communication. We're going to dive deeper into questions of bias and brevity, and Aaron will review a list of recommended resources. Thank you for joining me in the comfy chairs. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating or review, or share it with others. You'll find Comfy Chairs updates and other thoughts on leadership and learning on Instagram at 123 Limited. That's O-N-E-2-3-L-T-D. Until next time.